0: And welcome to another Gaming Moguls podcast, the only podcast where you put serious thought into what games you're bringing along on a bachelor party weekend. I'm Mr. Mark Teske, your host for this evening, along with my co-host, Mr. Jacob kloffenstein Jake, how are you doing tonight?
1: I'm doing wonderfully. Good little intro quip. Um, this is <laughs> my last night in real life before I go down to Austin, Texas for my bachelor party tomorrow. So I'm looking forward to it. And that it was funny. Fun. I did shoot out a big text to all the friends that I'm bringing down with me down there. And we're like, what games do you want to bring? And I actually got a pretty good response. So I'm going to have a fun little small bag of games.
0: Looking forward to it. Well, that sounds great. I understand, though, that you went out of your way to rent a place that has a nice swimming pool outside there. So y- you should be locked and loaded for a beautiful sunny weekend. Right? Oh,
1: it's gorgeous. It's just gorgeous. It's supposed to thunderstorm every single day with like a 90 percent <laughs> chance that it's going to thunderstorm. <laughs> So we might be inside, but whatever beer will be flowing, we'll have all of my great friends and I'm sure we will be warriors being able to walk wherever we need to, to drink and have a good time. Nice. Anywho. Any chance of train games? Uh, maybe we have 14 people down there, so probably have to bring a few of them. And I don't know how many people would be interested in a playing a train game down there or b sitting around while four of the people do play a train game for the amount of time it's going to take.
0: Yep. So we'll see. We shall see. Awesome. Well, hey, we got a fun episode for you this evening.
1: Should we hop right into it? Yeah, but before we do that, we do have to, again, remind the listeners of the first game giveaway that we're going to do. We are going to give away a copy of Startups by Oink Games, one of our favorite small box Japanese games by our favorite publisher, Oink. All you got to do is tag us in a photo or a post on Twitter or a post on Instagram. All you got to do is tag us. So at Gaming Moguls. And then you need to do the hashtag somewhere in that post saying hashtag gaming mogul startups. That's it. I'm going to be combing through those and selecting a winner randomly on May 17th. You can join in on both Twitter and Instagram. So if you have an account on either one of those, make sure you're following us and all that stuff and post whatever you really feel like is fun. If you want to post about our podcast or if you want to post a picture of your dog or cat or post a picture of game collection, I love to look at it. Just don't know. Send us some social media stuff. I just want to see where all of our listeners are at, and make
0: sure we're following you back. It is an awesome way to either start or grow your Oink catalog in a way that's uh, much smarter than the way that I attempt to do start and or grow my Oink catalog in this last week. Oh, yes. Tell, tell, tell the listeners about that. It's It's hilarious. <laughs> Jake and I are notorious for we are both collectors of Oink Games, the publisher from Japan, Oink Publishing. And uh, they make just these beautiful little small box games. And between the two of us, we now have somewhere around 80% of the catalog in our collection. So anytime they come out with a new one, where I always super excited about getting that in and adding that to our collection. They have recently just released two new titles, one called Dual Clash Poker and one called Mr. Face, and the opportunity came up to add those to my collection as we were placing an overseas order, so I immediately jumped on it and got a copy of both of those, and smash cut to me realizing that the copy of Mr. Face was Japanese only, and the cards in it were Japanese only, and all the instructions were Japanese only, and there was nothing on Board Game Geek with the rules, <laughs> and no way to find them, so... Apparently, it's a game where you flip a card that has an emotion on it. Then you arrange the pieces of the face to like a Mr. Potato Head to make emotions on there. And when you can't read what the Japanese card emotion thing says, it's a little tougher to get anything done on that. Right. Well, I'm actually kind of happy that you guinea pig this and not me. I was ordering from a
1: German board game shop and I didn't really want them, but you did. So I'm happy that we have them and I got to look at it and we're collecting it as a group, but I didn't have to waste my money on it.
0: Yeah. So kind of comically, I actually wrote Oink Tech Support on this one and said, hey, guys, uh, I don't know what to do here. Do you guys have English translations? And they immediately wrote back and said, where'd you get this? Like, is there English cards in there? And after the fact, I kind of realized I think they might have been kind of trolling around to see if I maybe actually had like a pirated copy or something like that. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. I don't. I mean, it's a legit oink copy. It's, you know, it's 100 percent in the up and up. But yeah, it's all in Japanese. So and they haven't responded back to my inquiries about, well, do you actually have English translations? So we'll see. I think I could figure it out enough to play it. And it actually kind of gets more funny when you do it with Google Translate because you uh, do the wacky <laughs> translations, too. Right, so. As long as everybody has a phone with the, <laughs> the, the, the Google Translate picture thing, that'd actually be pretty cool. Actually, what I think I'm going to do is I think I'm going to just put labels on them with whatever Google Translate says. Well, that's hilarious. You know, like uh, gently beckons the hand. OK, uh, I got to make that with my Mr. Potato Head here. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. I,
1: I, I'm actually interested to play it now. So keep us in the loop with Oink's tech service because we're interested to
0: see what's going to happen with uh, Mr. Face. For sure. And dual clash poker. uh, It looks like it's fun. It looks like it's a kind of a uh, it's a head to head, simple card playing game with some wild cards. And but I think the trick is you as teams can decide what order to play things out at to strategically take down your opponents. So we'll see. Interesting stuff. Why don't we
1: talk about what we played this week? And we had a very good week of gaming. So why don't I start us off with A new Le Rosenberg game that we were able to play for the first time a couple of times in the last couple of weeks. I'm, of course, talking of At the Gates of Loyang, a game from, I believe, 2005. I won this game in a TMG Board Game Geek giveaway, TMG being the publisher who recently have reprinted this game, and I was excited to try it. So I brought it to a Saturday and played it at four players with you, me and J-Mac, and our other friend Eric, and it was really, really, really fun. What did your kind of top-level impressions on the
0: game, Mark, as more of an UV fan than me? I did not know what to expect out of this game. You know, this is a game that has been out of print forever. Uh, I've never seen this game in person before Saturday. It was actually, I didn't really know what the game was even about, but... You knew it about Gates and Loyang? Yeah. <laughs> well, and, you know, we learned as we were, as it was coming that this was actually the game that was the inspiration for Agricola. And it really was the inspiration for the whole farming mechanism, the planting and the harvesting part of Agricola. So, you know, I like that part of the game. That's always felt good in both Agricola and Caverna. So a game based around that, I'm in. Yeah, what was also interesting is we have both played Antiquity,
1: a game by Splatter the Dutch publisher that we are both very big fans of. And apparently on the designer, there's like a designer sheet that kind of gives Uve's impressions and reasons for why he did different choices with the different mechanisms. And he said that the planting of the different fields is supposed to replicate the planting in antiquity, which was really cool, kind of getting a behind the hoods look. So what you're doing in Gates of Luoyang is you are substance farmers in um, Luoyang, China, and you are selling your goods. You're selling your vegetables to regular customers who are coming back four times and just one time customers who just want you to fill their bag and they're never going to see you again. What's cool about it is it has a very interesting, hard to explain card draw mechanism. It's funny because I really like the game, but if this game was designed now, it would have just been a card draft or something along those lines. But instead, what you have is this complicated, no who's going to pass first thing on and grab these cards. It's it's kind of annoying, but I like it a lot. I like what it does. Ultimately, it's a great UV style hand management, resource management
0: Euro game, and I really liked it. I was confused. It did not have a uh, basic Uwe Rosenberg tenant inside it. Feeding of your people? I did not feed anybody throughout the entire game. I didn't know what to do with myself. Well, you fed a lot of people. You fed a lot of people. You fed the customers. Well, that's true. I wasn't forced to feed them, though. What was also
1: interesting about this one is it felt like it had more of a money aspect than other things where you're buying stuff and selling stuff. It seems like in most of his other games, the worker placement varieties, you're not necessarily buying stuff for money which I thought was interesting. I actually ended up Googling Chinese money on Amazon and I was able to find a pack of 200 little small metal coins. I'm putting those in air quotes here because they're pretty much stamped pieces of tin that feel like different aluminum bottle caps or something along those lines. But I think they'll add a little evocative theme to the game. One downside of this game is it really vastly changes on how the turn structure works. Maybe not turn structure, but round structure of how you actually play, depending on the number of players. Sure. So if you're playing with first player. It's first, then second guy. If you're playing with three players, it's first player is the person who passes out the last and grabs card from the market. And then it goes to the person who did that second most, then it goes to the third person. And then in a four-player version, whoever the last two people to actually take cards in the middle and actually play them, Then choose partners of the other two people that did not pass out as late. And then any card effect that says you only targets your partner for that round, which is kind of confusing because there's all these really interesting mechanisms on top of it that are unlike other things you do in the game and hard to explain. And that's kind of weird. It kind of shows its age. I don't know if that's the term. It's just not very streamlined when it comes to operational aspects of it.
0: Yeah, no, it really felt a very different than a lot of other Uwe Rosenberg games and a lot of other games that were out that time and since then. The timer of picking stuff out of your field, having only certain fields you can plant, I mean, that's almost straight out of Bonanza, actually, right, in yeah. a way. So that's certainly a throwback to his big hit right before that one. And I don't know, man. Radish meeples. I think what else can you say? Yeah. Radish meeples. Uh, leek. What was that? A leek meeples. It was great. Onion meeples. It was awesome. Pumpkin. Yeah, it, it was awesome. Not at all. Great
1: production. I really think you should try picking it up if you like Uwe Rosenberg style games. And it kind of feels different to any of his other games. So really like it. I think we'll be playing it more. And hopefully we'll talk about it in a deeper, less random
0: way moving forward. Again, I really... Man, I got a strong Imperial Settlers feel from that as we were playing it. I mentioned that last week on our last podcast, but that was that was the one thing about partway through the game. I meant, man, this is actually the closest to Imperial Settlers of any other game that I think I've played.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I will talk about Imperial Settlers later in the podcast. The other game that I was able to play on Wednesday um, without you, regrettably, was Gentis Gentis by Stefan Reisthaus and published by TMG Games. I kickstarted this one, so it is the most beautiful production from TMG games that I've ever seen. It came with one of those folded space inserts, which is foam core versus wood builded inserts, and I love those a lot. So I was very much on board to like this game. Only played it once, played it with three players, and two of us understood the rules really well, and I explained them very well. What you're doing in Gentis is you are different ancient civilizations vying for the eastern Mediterranean. When you build up certain types of people in your different villages or civilization, whatever you call it, you can then play different technologies. You don't actually spend the people, though. You just need to have that threshold be met. And Tyler was spending them. So we got to the last turn and we're like, Tyler, how are you 50, 60 points behind us? We just thought he was doing a really bad job. And then we look over at his board. His population cubes were at like one and two. And he's at least spent like 18 or something by the end of the round. So we ended up giving mm. him everything. And it's got a little bit of asterisk on it. I just think he was a little tired because Stephen understood it. And I hit that point really, really hard. I kept on calling it a threshold. I kept on not calling it you pay. You don't have it. I, I, I taught it well. So it was just one thing where a win in one ear out, out the other. But he really liked it. I think we're going to play it again at two player. Um, I think you're going to really like it, Mark. It had a bunch of really cool at mechanisms in it. And I hope we can talk about it further down the line when you've actually played it.
0: Yeah, it looked beautiful. Uh, I was over at the next table playing a different game at the time, so I just kind of glanced over at you guys playing that one, but certainly looks like something I would enjoy. I think you will.
1: And for the mogul scale, I'm giving it a 3C as of now. What did you play while I was playing
0: Gentis and at the gates of Loyang there, Mark? I was playing a game that honest to God would have been an awesome fit for our Punching Above Its Weight podcast for that episode. Because, man, this game is the virtual definition of that one. At the next table, we were playing the Albin VR abstract Town Center published by Luda Bay, which, man, fascinating game. I had seen this mentioned by a number of other podcasts and uh, most most recently Cardboard Reality about how much they love this game. And I was able to find a used copy of it somewhat inexpensively from Board Game Co. So thought I would give it a whirl and see what I thought of it. And boy, is this a brain burner. That <laughs> was really hard. Our friend Brent showed up partway through the through the match and just looked over at all of us with our head in our, you know, our our forehead in our palms, just, you know, grinding at our hair and gnashing our teeth and just staring at our boards going, what should we do? I don't know. The idea behind this is that you're trying to actually build a little city. You start out by drafting different types of cubes. You've got office buildings. You've got residential. You've got commercial You've got uh, parking lot slash elevators, and you've got power stations. So you draft these cubes. You, there are certain rules as to how you can arrange them, like you can't put commercial right next door to other commercial, and you can't put residential right next door to other residential. And once you've drafted the two of those, you then place them onto the board. The drafting mechanism is really unique, too, in that you draw two for every player at the table. Then you make stacks based on the number of players. So if there's four players, there's four stacks of two. So when you do a snake draft on them, and you can only take off the top of every stack, the person that draws them can artistically and creatively make sure that the people behind them don't have access to what they don't want them to have access to. Once you draft them, you place them down there. Then there are rules for growth. If the it it kind of flows downhill in a waterfall, if there's more offices than there are residences, then the residences grow. If there are more residences than there are commercial centers, then the commercial centers grow. After you've done that, if you have powered commercial centers, they'll pay you dividends every round. If you have parking lots, they'll pay you dividends every round. And how much they pay is based not only on their size, but how far off the ground there are. There's like a real premium for stuff that's like lofty up in the air as like the penthouse. You earn income based on where these things are placed. And then you use that to maybe buy some pieces to go use for the next round. At the end of the game, it comes down to where you cash in your money and then the powered residences instead of the commercial properties then pay you out at the end. It was an amazingly interesting 3D spatial puzzle that you were placing these tiles down and trying to figure out how to arrange them so that they'll grow organically and then pay you maximum money. And I absolutely love this. I I really it's the game I've been thinking about all week that I'm dying to run back again. Oh, wow. Really interesting. Yeah, because
1: I I hadn't heard much about this. I was kind of on my radar. I wasn't on my wish list or anything. And when you bought it, I was like, OK, that's cool. I'm excited to try it. Sweet. I'm always down to try
0: something. But hearing you describe it now, I think it's definitely something we got to get to the table. How long was it? It says 45 to 60 minutes, and that's 100 percent right. I mean, we definitely played it in in 60 minutes. First time through with trying to understand the rules and how it all worked out and we were done in less than an hour no problem so yeah if you had people that knew how to play it would be 45 minutes no problem whatsoever got it well i'm gonna have to try town center by albin viard what would you give it as a mogul scale mark uh two for rules and it is a probably a 2d on the rules on the on the strategic side of things oh wow it really
1: punches that hard interesting Yeah, because I remember looking over at you guys and we were playing Gentis at this time and we were just kind of loving this great little Euro with a bunch of interesting mechanisms going on and we look over and you guys are just in
0: pain. (laughs) So I I, I like games that hurt me and make me feel a bad way. Yeah, but great pain. I mean, it's one of those that, you know, when you're solving a really hard puzzle and the beauty of it is, is all of a sudden you'll see this move that's just beautiful. You'll see this where oh, I lay this one thing here and that'll cause my residences to grow, which will make my commercial spaces to grow. Then I can go up a level, which will then like triple the amount of money that'll pay out. Oh, it's going to be a beautiful move. And you see those every once in a while and (laughs) it feels so
1: good. That is awesome. Speaking of games that cause you a lot of pain, I was lucky enough to be able to play Metro X's expansion. I'm trying to pronounce the X really poignantly there because I think it's called the X. No, it's the (laughs) extension. Pardon me.
0: Yes, it's the extension.
1: Metro X is one of my favorite games from last year. It was designed by Hisashi Hayashi. We've talked about it a bunch on the podcast, but what's really cool is they released an expansion map and there are three different new maps on it. And I was able to play on one of them, but I thought I would describe each one of the new maps because they are it's kind of a rarer little thing. And seeing as we have them, we should probably talk about them, even though we haven't played them. So there is a three new cities starting with Sendai is the first one. And so what's cool about Sendai, aside from the fact that all of the paths are going certain different ways, there are this new mechanism where the track will actually split into an A and a B route. So that'll commonly happen with actual trains. Um, Maybe during the week it runs one way and then the weekend it'll actually run the other way or every other, depending on which different train it is. And that is really interesting. So you get a certain amount of points if you go for the shorter one or if you go for the longer one. Take everything I say here with a grain of salt because the rules are 100% in Japanese. And I think they've posted a fan. Someone posted like a fan translation on BGG. But it may not be true. So we shall see. Maybe everything I say here is wrong. Um, But that one seems really cool. The Hakata route is the new one that we actually played on Wednesday. And it had a whole bunch of really short roots that kind of don't interact with other people. So there was maybe three or four roots that are maybe two to five length, and they don't interact with any of the other ones. And then there's a couple of other ones that are really spaghetti and junctioning in the middle that are longer roots, which was very interesting. And then finally, there was the Nagoya which is a map that has uh, the same kind of thing as the split, but it's actually a loop of a train. So you start in on one end and then you can loop all the way around and you can either go left or right and feel it all the way through. With each one of these new expansion maps, we're very excited to be able to play all of them because I'm speaking for Mark and I think that you will not disagree with me here. The gaming moguls love Metro X and any more content for it is going to be huge. Yep, I cannot wait to play with you, Mark. Yep out of curiosity of the original two maps, what do you say your split was
0: between playing the two of them?
1: I played Tokyo two times as often as I played Osaka, probably actually three times as often as I played Osaka.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's probably right on the money with with where I did too. So I'm curious to see how the new maps will change that, which ones I want to play. So because man, the Tokyo map is really wonderful. Osaka is fun, too. But curious to see if any of these dethrone Tokyo.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting. I don't know if they will because they're each a little weirder, but they all are more interesting. You can tell even if you've only played the game once or twice by looking at these ones that they are clearly more advanced. I mean, the Sendai Sendai one has a path of four or five different things that have the same three different train lines running on it. Yeah, that was crazy. So it could be really hard to make sure you're doing that. Yeah, I showed them all to you and it was like a kid in the candy shop. What's also interesting, there's a lot of these zigzaggy one long ones where it goes on for maybe 10 or 12 squares after it's it's going to be really fun to dig into these and see all the different
0: maps that we have now. be interesting to see if they actually bring this one to the U.S. I mean, they never actually brought Metro X to the U.S., which is a crying shame. And so I, I suppose hoping for the expansion to ever come to the U.S. is probably <laughs> even more ridiculous to hope for. But yeah. It's a wonderful game if you can find it. Hopefully they'll have copies of it for that more people can get at GenCon this right. year.
1: Or somebody will be brave and post the new expansion maps on BGG. I'm just not going to be that one without the written consent of Okasu brand.
0: Yep, sounds like the right idea. Speaking of Hisashi Hayashi, I got to play another Hisashi Hayashi roll and write that same night. And this is one that I had never heard of and it was also definitely one that I didn't know was designed by Hisashi Hayashi till after the fact. This is Rolling America, published by game right here in the U.S. I got to be honest. If you told me something's published by game right, that isn't necessarily something that makes me jump out of my chair and want to play it. Got it. See, it's funny because I know a little bit of the background about this game. I, it's always been on my radar because I love
1: Hisashi Hayashi so much. And I told our friend Brent on a BGG list, he posts the games he plays every year. Hey, Brent, bring Rolling America or Rolling Japan. I'd really like to try it because we obviously like Hisashi Hayashi. We like quick rolling, rolling rights this will be one that's great. And then he pulled it out and I was regrettably playing another game or something. I can't remember what I was doing, but I wasn't able to play with you guys. And I was looking over just being like, yeah, Mark's going to really like this. And then I like talk to you about it and you're like, yeah, that was a good game. And you had like no idea that it was something that we probably would like no. by the same designer.
0: <laughs> well, and to be fair, I don't really mean to rip on game right because they do publish Sushi Go and I really like Sushi Go. <laughs> I'm, I'm not ashamed to admit Big that. fan, Big fan. So what'd you think of it? The idea behind Rolling America is that you have a bunch of colored dice that you draw two of them out of the bag, you roll them, and then whatever region is that color, you have to write that number in. The challenge is, though, that you have to put numbers either within one either direction of the one next to it. So if you've got a four in a space, that means you could put a four, five, or a six in all the states surrounding that one. gets more challenging as the game goes on because you have less good spaces where you can put things. And if there's ever a chance where you can't put something there at that point, what you have to do is you have to go in and put down an X when you screw up. And that's ultimately actually how the scoring is done for this game. You go through and you count up the number of X's. Whoever has the least number of X's is the winner for that game. Really interesting idea on that. And it really ends up kind of falling apart as the game goes on, as everybody's like, ah, another X, another X. I can't hold them back. I can't hold it back. Yes. (laughs) Another X. I did enjoy it quite a bit and would love to play it again. I'm sure it's probably obtainable for not a whole lot of money either. I remember the Rolling Japan, which I'm believing is by
1: the same designer, was available on PGG, but I can't remember Rolling America. I haven't really looked into it.
0: So I am happy that Brent brought it. I hope we get to play it again. Bring it again, Brent. That is Rolling America by Hisashi Hayashi, published by game right I would rate that one a 1B. Yeah. yeah, that's right. In our wheelhouse. Also on a game day that we had on Saturday,
1: we were able to a game by Reiner Knesia called Twins. It's another Oink published games that we've talked about before. By the way, Jake, Yeah, you can go ahead and keep talking. I'm pre-filing an objection right now, but keep going. Oh, okay. Interesting. So where was I? We played Twins and we played it three player, me, Mark, and our friend Max. And I am so bad at this game. We've talked about it before, but what you're doing in this game is you have a. everybody starts with 10 money and on your turn, you are dealt a hand of eight cards and you're going to put together of those eight, four pairs that are going to be scored in a certain way that are similar to poker hand. So like a, a, a matching pair is worth something and then everything will beat everything else down the line. I am so bad. I don't understand this game. I always lose. I just don't have a good time with it and I want to. And I don't think it's a bad <laughs> game. I just think I'm pretty lukewarm on it. And I'm excited to hear what your your your, your disagreement is going to be here <laughs> because I, I, I
0: wasn't coming that aggressively here. I'm, I'm, I'm interested. No, I'm just harassing you more than anything else. Where would you rate this on the mogul scale, Jake? One no, B, one A. Do you think there's maybe any correlation between your perception of strategic depth and your ability to do well at the game? We could be super combinatorial about this and figure out how many actual (laughs) options there are.
1: We were also playing with Max, who I think is listening to the podcast. So hopefully you're not going to take this personally, Max. But Max was throwing down random stuff every once in a while. And I would get hurt by that and you wouldn't. He would throw down something like if he knew he wasn't going to win the last hand, he would throw down like a suited twins or something that'd be the best and be like tens. And then he would lose the next one. And I had like suited nines or something and I'd get kicked out. And even though I beat your hand, it was just dumb. I got hit by Max a bunch. I still think this game would be improved where every single round what's going to happen with the four different hands changes just for a little variety. It felt a little samey. It kind of felt like you were you against the shoe and the dealer and blackjack. You know, you're just playing the same thing over and over again.
0: It's done a lot of variety. It felt kind of transactional. Okay. So I won. I won by a lot. You did. You most certainly did. Last three times we played. I won by a lot. And the reason is I understand this game. Oh, sure. <laughs> and you don't I understand it. I understand <laughs> it. Fine. No, there's you do not, not that much to understand. You don't even kind of the, the very fact that you think that you should randomize what happens each turn proves to me you do not understand this game. Well, I mean, you know, from because the get-go, that is the game,
1: you know, from the get go. The game is discerning that eight cards that you have and figuring out which hand is going to be for what. Now, I'm not saying that it has to be. No, the game The game is about expected return. That's that's the that's the same. What? Off what? An investment? You, you make one investment chip here.
0: You know, at the beginning, you have the opportunity to invest a certain amount of chips. You can either invest one to get one or card get or two. three to get two cards. So, you know, number one, that's one point of decision making where you have to decide, is it worth it? To invest that in order to am I going to make that money back based on the amount of coins that are in the pot, which varies depending on what where you are in turn order. You may not know that. And depending on what other people are going to go. Yes, agreed. correct. Now, the other thing about it, too, is there's an expected return on what cards you should play when. I mean, there was times that I was definitely angling to win the first trick and then try to lose as few as possible the rest of the trick because I realized that there was no point in trying to win the final pot because there'd be three coins in it at the end there. So every single turn, I was maximizing which of those four phases was going to pay me the most money and making sure that I won that one and making sure that I did not lose the ones that cost me money. And then when I did have to pay, it was like losing one instead of three. So so you, so you so your net returns two on your one investment or whatever. And I understand that I
1: get that part of the game. I'm not saying if you do a random card of what it's going to be and then you flip over to see what the turn's going to be. But I'm just saying for a a variety of maybe because it seems like with each one, it depends on what hand you're going to get. But if you may have one good hand, you just go for an early win. There's no information that you have around the table besides how many cards they buy.
0: I mean, in poker, you you get dealt the nuts in poker and, you know, (laughs) no strategy is needed at that point. You just kind of, you know, sit back and lay your cards down when it's your turn and you win. I know,
1: and I'm not saying that's a thing, but it's just I, I I don't know that there's that much strategy to this. I mean, does this have more or less strategy to cribbage to, for you to give it a little a little basis?
0: Oh, it it has less strategy than cribbage. I'm not saying that this is a strategic monster. I'm all, I'm just saying though that it is there is more strategy than putting it at a one a. Oh,
1: I think it's I, th- I think it I think there could be a one b argument, but I think the main decision that happens in this game is. You just see what your card hand is, and then you could lay out and resolve all the hands at once and be the same level of game versus doing them one at a time.
0: Well, yeah, but you have to decide what those are and you have to decide whether or not it's going to be pay off to invest in more cards or not. Right. So eh, there's more decisions. I just that. would like anyway. to see a variety
1: amongst the different turns, because I think it reward different styles of hands and make certain things better. So like, let's say you're, you have two ma hands. I'm not saying that'd be a bad game. It'd be a different game. Yeah, but I mean, I, I don't know. I don't think it'd be that different. I think it'd be that thing. Anywho, Twins. I, don't, I still think it's meh. I think it's a B or C, <laughs> C tier to oink game. I don't like it. Yeah,
0: tell me Tell me again once you actually figure out how to win.
1: <laughs> I, I will do a thesis on it. I'm going to deep dive into this game. I will look through BGG stats while we are talking about the next game,
0: and I will tell the listeners how bad I actually am at this game, because it'll be interesting. <laughs> Why don't you talk about the Sorry, next game, Sorry, and, and, and it's just funny that I'm flexing on Jake like this, just in dunking on him, because I don't, he beats me all the time at everything. So when I actually lord over him the fact that I've figured out one that he hasn't, it's a great day that I well, and it's weird take full advantage of that. I grew up playing card games like my entire
1: life. We played up and down the river. I play cribbage. Really, really I, I will, I will bet a lot of money that I will beat a lot of people in cribbage. You know, I I like these style of games. So you have won two of the times that I've played. I've only played this game three times. I have. And then Anna won it once when I played it with her and her mom. So I am not very good, but I did come out even in that game In the other games. So you got 25 points. I came in second place with 20 in that five player game. Oh, that wasn't so bad. In the three player game, I was off by you by a dollar by two dollars. Pardon me. Sure. It wasn't the actual end time, but. We we wanted to call it there anyway, so I don't think I'm not bad. Don't tell the listeners I'm bad at this game. Talk about Grand Austria. <laughs> Hotel. I'm peeved now. I'm angry.
0: Uh, I do want to put a, ber- a marker in fact. Some at some point maybe Klopp gun. We need to whip out a cribbage board and uh, let me see your stuff. Ooh, I will. I will show you it all. I will show you it all. I won. <laughs> I won this weekend when we we're playing
1: three player cribbage with, with my cousins. So. I'm down to play. Let's talk about some more games, though.
0: Great. You played Grand Austria Hotel. I did. Yeah. So uh, end of the night Wednesday, we got a chance to pull out and play Grand Austria Hotel, which Jake has been talking is my ear off about, about what a just tasty midweight euro this thing is. And so when J-Mac offered to pull it out and teach it, I was very excited to actually do that. And I immersed myself fully in the uh, streusel and the wine and the tea and everything else you're serving there. And at a glorious time playing Grand Austria Hotel played out in about 90 minutes for us. You know, a little bit on top of that in front of a teach. I know this because we started the game at about 10, o- about nine o'clock and we had to be wrapped up by 11. Thanks, Fantasy Flight. Ugh. And <laughs> darn it. A few observations I had on it to not retread the area that we've already done with Grand Austria Hotel. I noticed turn order being incredibly important in that game. Like there's no way to game. it. No, it's just it's going to happen. No. You're going to be first player twice. I'm pretty sure that I scored 50 points on the last turn because I was first. There was a case where I think there was six sixes in that round, or something crazy like that. And sixes are the ones that you can reuse for any of the other actions. So I could just pick another action and do six of them. So I literally got like six wines and like fed everybody at all my tables. And completed a bunch of rows up in my rooms and I did a whole bunch of stuff that um, scored me probably 50 points in that big cascade and that's something that had I have not been first I would not have been able to do so very important aspect being turn order also a byproduct of turn order I had been warned in advance that there is a very significant downtime between the uh, snake part of the actions. The idea is that it goes, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, where it's, you know, one, two, three, four around the table, then four, three, two, one around the table. And uh, yeah, if you're the first player, uh, I hope you brought a book. Right. Because it's going to be a minute before it gets back around to
1: you. Yeah, it just takes a while. And it's just that's there's I don't think there's any way to get around it. It's not AP. No, we play as a fast group. It's just there's no a lot of things that happen on your turn. When you're a new player, just because you're doing more stuff, you know, I mean, like you do this, which does this, which does this, which does this, which gets you this, which cool. Now it's your turn. OK, that's it. And then the other guy's turn is I take this to get three doors. You know, it's just it's not fair. Just the the, the amount of time in each turn. So. Right, right. But I'm happy you yeah, liked so- it. Did you did you add it to the wish list?
0: I did. Yeah, no, it's already on my wish list. That's something that I would uh, can certainly can see adding to my own collection. And I can definitely see the rest of my family enjoying playing as well. So, you know, I mean, that's kind of one of the big criteria I make for some of my games, not all of them. But right. if the family likes them and my friend like them, then that's a pretty easy one to add to my
1: collection. Absolutely. And if you want to hear more of our thoughts on Grand Austria Hotel, we've talked about it in two other podcasts. Go check them out in our previous feeds. Speaking of games that we have recently played, I bet you didn't expect to see this because we made our show notes earlier today. This game was not on it. This is, I think, the soonest that I'm going to talk about a game on the podcast from when I played it because I finished wrapping up this game an hour ago. (laughs) (laughs) Literally, you texted me. Are you able to record? I said, yeah, I just am wrapping up this game. So (laughs) I taught Anna, my fiance, Imperial Settlers by Ignacy Trebićek by Portal Games. And I'm not going to dive into this because we've talked about it before, but the gist of it in Imperial Settlers is you are different factions. I was Rome in this game. She was Egypt. And you are using a combination of cards to try to drive the most victory points out of it. It's kind of cube pushery where you're converting different resources from different cards to do this, to do that, to do this, to do that, to be able to get the most victory points as you can. But it's an awesome engine builder with a huge amount of expansions to it. And it was interesting to get Anna's take on it. Because Anna's not super into games. It's not probably a hobby that we share. She really right. likes those exit games since we played the absolute crap out of those. And she'll play some games with her family and stuff. But it's 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 more of a byproduct. If it's just me and her, we'll do something else. We'll just chat or sit around or do something else. couple of takeaways from just Anna's position. She one time shouted out of the blue, every decision is hard. And... <laughs> I hope our neighbors were not too mad about that because she, (laughs) I think she had a tough time digesting the fact that, so to actually build up your civilization, you have to tear down the previous buildings. And I just don't think Anna was able to process that in in a good way. So she'd be sitting on a couple of resources that she could have spent to build another building. And I said to her, honey, why, why are you sitting on these? You should spend that. She was like, well, I need that card for next turn. And I'm like, You can't have that mentality. You have to be able to use that card and throw it away to be able to build something better so you can build down the line more and you're not wasting these resources. But ultimately, I did pretty well with the Romans. I was helping her with her Egyptian strategy, so I probably wasn't as focused as I would have normally been. But I was able to score 54 points and got a pretty good setup from the beginning, so I was able to score pretty quickly. I just wasn't able to get any cards to keep my stone development going. But it is such a fun game. It was really fast. Even with teach with her, I think it was 35, 45 minutes, hmm. 45 to an hour with teach. And there's just so many factions for her to explore with me. So I'm hoping she likes it. I'm thinking maybe she'll sleep on it and be a little more jazzed on it because I got the I'd probably rather play other games at the end of it. And I was like, dang it, Thought the cute art would draw her in. My daughter loved
0: it. Would telling her that help at all?
1: Uh, maybe I'll just I'll just have to say, come on, you can do better. Come on, you can beat Elizabeth here. Mark's 10 year old daughter loves it, right? It's such a good game. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm happy she got to play it, though, and it made me realize I need to bring it to games more. I know we talked about the last episode, but we're talking about it again.
0: Sounds great, Jake. And, uh, you know, if you check out our Gaming Moguls Mogul Scale rating on our website, GamingMoguls.com slash Mogul Scale, you can see we rated this a 1C or a 1D, depending on whether you're building your own decks or not. You did not build decks, right, Jake? God, no, that'd be so funny. OK, so here's the game. Now let's construct our decks. Here's all the factions. What do you want? <laughs> Anywho,
1: that's what we played this week. I have an interesting question for you, Mark, and you recently went on a trip with your family and you've been sending a whole Mm -hmm. bunch of messages to me about games, about locations, and we've been talking about this a lot, so I thought it'd be an interesting segment for the podcast. So why don't you tell the listeners kind of your
0: mentality behind this and kind of what spurred it? Sure. Um, I've got kind of a goofy offbeat collection in my game and kind of a sub collection, I would call it, inside of my main game collection. I actually started using game collection as a way to get souvenirs from places I've traveled in the world. Whenever possible, I try to find a game that is either set in the specific place that we went or is, you know, very predominantly themed around that. If there's a game that's specifically named after the place that we went, eh, that'd really be my first choice. So just to clarify, you don't buy these games there. You just get home and
1: say, I was just in Rome. I'm going to buy the game Rome or for example.
0: Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The reason for that is that there's actually a a really good solid reason that I don't do that for, you know, for one thing, it's luggage, right? I mean, I don't really want to cart home a big box game inside my suitcase from from Europe back you know, and have it get mushed and whatever else. So the other main reason, though, is that when you find whenever you're in Europe or someplace like that, that really they have the same games we do for the most part. They just are in a language that I don't understand. So you know, me picking up a game in Italy doesn't really put me ahead in the game because it's the same games we have here, but just in Italian. So fun. What I'll do is I'll actually wait till I get home and then go back and try to source a game based on that. For example... We went to Italy for spring break, and one of the places we went to was the island of Burano, which is just outside of Venice. And as it turns out, there's a Burano game, which is actually a sort of heavier weight euro and was able to find a used copy of that and have added that to my collection. Recently, you sent me a photo of a game that counts as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, This is one actually going back a little ways. I've got kind of a, a list of places I've been in the past that I've never achieved a game from, and one of those was Brussels. I went there probably 15 years ago before I was married, but I actually just recently picked up Brussels 1893. So that's another one I've been able to add to the big list. And then I'm sure we've heard about the other ones you've been to, too. I
1: mean, you've been to Havre, right? And Yokohama as well, too. Yeah. So a few of my favorites out of that
0: collection, I've actually got I think that collection's probably around 25 games at this point. You know, there are some games I own just literally because they're set in that location and they're not terribly special games, but. There are other ones that really are exceptional games out of that. And here's a few of my favorites. Lahav. I was in Lahav uh, a year ago, December. And, you know, Lahav being the Uwe Rosenberg game. And that's just one of the best games out there. Hard stop. Right. absolutely love this game. So wonderful that it was a game that was available and great. And by one of my favorite authors. I mean, that's that's an auto include, even if I hadn't have been there. Next on the list, Yokohama. Yokohama I visited in spring of 2016 2017 the great part about Yokohama one of our favorite games it's one where you are in sort of uh you know 1900 Yokohama right as it's becoming westernized and your little merchants traveling around doing stuff one of the greatest parts about that one is it has the rule that whoever was most recently in Yokohama gets to go first so I have that locked up for life oh, so you'll always try yeah, me I, I got that locked up for yeah, life I've never been there gosh dang it of course when we play that as a family my daughter likes reminding me of the fact that she sat in the train car behind me.
1: <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. She got you. That's <laughs> so, hilarious. Technically
0: speaking, she was the last one in Yokohama. Another one being Orleans. That was the same trip when I went to La Havre. We made a trip out to Western France and went right on through Orleans. So had the game before I went there. So that was more checking a box than anything else. But I was recently this spring break in Rome. So hey, glory to Rome! I just, in hindsight, wish I would have brought that one along with me and just think that playing Glory to Rome, like in the grass, oh, in the grass outside the Colosseum. Right. It
1: would have been a good photo
0: series. Well, in the
1: next one that that you have here would have even been a better photo series.
0: Oh, jeepers. Yeah. So uh, Castles of Mad King Ludwig. I've been to Bavaria several times. I just I'm largely German, (laughs) shall we say, and as are you. And right. uh, yeah, there's something about, uh, you know, Bavaria with the, you know, deer heads in the wall and stuff with mushroom gravy on it that I, I love and have seen the Castles of Mad King Ludwig on several occasions and love the game. And it fits perfectly in the collection. Right. Can you imagine a picture of that in front of like a new or something? Some like Bavarian castle would be really cool. Oh, good heavens. Yeah. No kidding. That would be awesome. And finally, this one would be another one that would be a great picture. Oh, wait, you wouldn't see it. It'd be too foggy. <laughs> Uh, This is the Alexander Pfister game, Isle of Sky, which we actually talked about last episode. 2013, I went to the Isle of Sky and toured around and the weather was absolutely horrible that day, the day we were there a couple days. But man, what an amazingly beautiful location. And every time I play that game, I get brought back to the memories of that trip. So it's an interesting way to commemorate a trip by games that bring you back and evoke the theme of the place that you've been. Having said that, there's still a few that I really have not identified a good game for yet. I'm looking for a good Iceland-themed game. I don't know if there is one. Isn't Reykjavik in Iceland, or is that in uh Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, I always forget about that one. R- I, oh, I, I Uwe Rosenberg, I, too. You know, Uwe actually does have an Iceland tile inside of Feast for Odin. So it's in it, Iceland. It kinda, there it is. I was right. It does kind of check that box, yep. I don't have an India-based game, with because I've been to Bangalore and Mysore back in 2007 for work. Somebody told me India Rails would have those cities on there, so... Interesting. That maybe is one I can look into. I also don't feel like I have a great China game. Gugong sort of fits because Gugong really means like uh, the Forbidden City. And I have toured the Forbidden City, but eh, I'm more looking for a game called like, you know, Walls of Beijing or something like that. Or 1880 China. That's what you got to get. Also true. You have to
1: get it. Oh, man. That that has to apply.
0: When we played 1880 last time, I wanted to just lay a token on Xi'an so badly because I've been to Xi'an and absolutely love the city. I really wanted to token Xi'an, but my, unfortunately, there was really no game reason to do that other than just nostalgia. Sweet. Why'd you, why'd you token Xi'an? It's just, (laughs)
1: I've been there. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. so definitely yeah. let mark know if you have any other recommendations for places and this is kind of going to be a little maybe segment we're going to do more often game collections are more than just a collection of good games we all have games yeah. on our shelf that we kind of have for whatever reason you know it might be a gift or something along those lines or maybe you just collect them because you love the publisher and i think it's gonna be something we're gonna talk about so let us know in the forums if you have any games like this that you get for whatever
0: reason if you have an interesting collection theme, please let us know about it. We'd love to hear about it. And heck, maybe even have you on if you want to talk about it. All right. So our main topic for today is something that Jake and I talk about quite a bit because of the fact that we both are involved with uh, sort of the care and feeding of a regular game group. And you know, there's a lot of thought that goes into that. And we know that there's a lot of people that do actually have regular game groups. And there's a lot of people that we have learned run them kind of much different than we do. And so... We wanted to open up the discussion tonight and talk a little bit about some of the factors around running a game group, as well as eh, just giving you a little insight on how we run our game group. So with that, Jake, what are some of the things you got to worry about when you run a regular game group? Right. There's a lot because there is solo gaming in this hobby, and it's a huge
1: aspect of it. A lot of people really like doing it. But for the most part, if you want to play board games, the way that we like to play board games is you need other people. And once you add more people in there, it becomes hard. So, who do you invite? Do you just play games with your people and your family? Do you play it with coworkers? Is it your friends that are kind interested in gaming and you're going to make gamers out of it? Do you go on BGG and try to find a game group that way? Do you go on Tinder, or Grindr or whatever, whatever suits your fancy? There, do you play with Ooh, friends? Of that is friends? definitely not how I'm finding gamers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you can figure out. Do you go on one of those meetup apps? There's a lot of different ways to meet with people. Right. However, I think we have probably a good experience with us playing with or meeting friends of friends. So it actually, we're, we're, we're a testament of that exactly is me and you, you're my uncle's co-workers college roommate. So there's no real right. way that we knew each <laughs> other before this, but you were interested in games and I was interested in games and your, your college roommate, Brian, brought you to a game night and we enjoyed playing games with each other and you've been a member of the group ever since. And we've always found that it's easier to... Maybe as long as people are vouching for you or you're friends of a friend or maybe interested in games in some way, it's easy to make a good friend out of somebody who also shares this great hobby. Yes, absolutely. Also, with that, how do you invite these people? Are you one of those people that just says, "Okay, well, one Thursday, we're going to play Imperial 2030. I need five people. I'm first going to text Mark. Mark's out. Okay, I'm texting Tyler. Then down the line, do you keep it a private regular group? Is it a semi-private group? Like our Wednesday group that we're going to talk about in a bit. Is it a full public group where it's on BoardGameGeek and whoever shows up, shows up? How do you deal with the aspects of people coming and going during those times? Do you make sure that everybody comes at a certain time? Do you make sure that everybody will wait for everybody to play the games? Is everybody even going to play games together? There's a lot of different aspects to just dealing with the actual people. Then moving forward. Games.
0: Yeah, games. The man- actual <laughs> part of it. Who's going to manage the games? Right. right. So, you know, a few things to think about there. First off, what games do you play? How do you pick them? How do you you reserve them? Do you just, uh, is it survival of the loudest? Whoever yells (laughs) the loudest gets their game played. Who runs them? Who teaches them? Is it the person that picks the game or somebody else? Next, how do you deal with the fact that, you know, there's different gaming abilities at your game night? Is that something that's a factor? how do you deal with themes of games? Certainly different people like different types of games and different people don't like different types. And running a game group where everybody can be happy and feel invited is a challenge. And then finally, Jake, where do you play those games at?
1: Right. And so that's something that we've had an issue of and we've waxed poetically about it, about how angry we're at FFG for closing down an hour early. But that's becoming a huge issue for us. You know, I mean, that location is a big aspect where everybody feels comfortable and how it suits the group and all that stuff. Finally, kind of in a more macroscopic standpoint, play style, different people like different styles of games. And I think if you put a room of gamers together, you can always find something that everybody will like to play. But Mark and I get along a lot with our taste in games we could probably like most of the games from every other person's collections and we don't have a lot of friction there. There's other people I've played games with who are really into like Amerithrash style dice chucking games that aren't really our digging stuff.
0: And furthermore, are you a fast player or are you really Mr. Gotta Think It Out uh, to every ridiculous depth?
1: Right, absolutely. And then finally, and more of a group management standpoint, seems like with every group that we've had, there's just kind of a churn in and out people will come for a bit and then they'll leave just due to other obligations and then they kind of won't be in it so it seems like do you want to make sure you're always inviting people to the group or because there's going to be people that do some other activity on a certain night and how are you going to make sure to keep the game group alive so with all those aspects why don't we use these as kind of a thesis or a, a rubric to talk about the groups that we play regularly with sounds great why don't we start us off with the wednesday mark
0: Okay. So for starters, our Wednesday group is the group that Jake and I play with every Wednesday night, every Wednesday night that we're available. I have been doing it now for about two years. Jake, how long have you been doing it? Five or five, five or six. Sure. It's been a while. Yeah. And they've been doing it for
1: even longer than that. They did it back when FFG was at the old location before that. So sure. It's, it's been a while. Yeah. And so we always play at Fantasy Flight Games.
0: Yeah. And it's, um you know, one of the benefits from Fantasy Flight Games is that they have full dinner service there. They have full food. They also serve beer and beverages and coffee and so forth. So really, you can kind of go up and hole up there and make a night out of it. Also, it's a very bright, clean, open, non-stinky place to go play games.
1: <laughs> it's very airy and it's nice. It's it, The ceilings are like 20 feet tall. It's great. Yeah.
0: And, you know, well, lit. it's actually a very pleasant place to go play games. Lots of room to play and yeah, it's a great place to play, but it's not really the closest place in the world from where I live. I get to spend right. darn near an hour in rush hour traffic to get there on, on every Wednesday night. That isn't awesome. And, uh, they, you know, they recently changed up their hours on us, which made it a little more unfriendly for the endings of our games. Right. And then to start with a little bit of history of this is this group was originally
1: a corporate group for a company that my uncle works at here. And what they would do is they'd actually play at a conference center. But then they said, no, let's go to a game store. that will be more fun. And they brought the group there. So ever since that, since then, it's kind of been people that have known somebody in that group and have been brought into it. And it's grown ever since. And so now the group is nearly mostly different from the original people that used to go to it. I think my Uncle Kirk is one of the original members that still kind of goes. And it's just kind of interesting. It hit my other point of there's always going to be a churn of people in and out. Yeah, it's also, I'd say, semi open, maybe semi private, somewhere in that range. Where if you have a friend and you want to bring them to our game group, or if you're a listener and you're in Minneapolis for Wednesdays, reach out. We'd love to have you, but we're not posting on BGG
0: or something saying, come play with us. We've decided that New Blood is something that's actually pretty important for the health of our game group going forward. Reason being is this is not a game group made up of lifelong best buddies that are going to always come every Wednesday night just because they've been doing that for the past 20 years. It is a group of people that the common thread is that we all like to play games. So you know, life happens, and and we all get along great. We're all buddies, but yeah, you're right. We're
1: not. It's it's not a. We're seeing this just to see everybody. It's it's we're seeing the games, and we conveniently
0: get to hang out with each other as well. Right. And you know, I certainly definitely come to see everybody. So I don't mean to downplay that part of it, but not everybody's as invested in it as you and I are. So. It's important that people get busy with life and so forth, that we always make sure that there's a uh, roster, shall we say, of people that are willing to come so that we can always field a couple of tables every Wednesday night. And people get busy. We've always got enough people that can come. Right. We try to recruit wherever possible and bring people into our group that fit well with our little mindset and fit well with the style we play with games with. And uh, that's actually run reasonably well. And uh, we pretty typically are able to run two tables rather reliably on Wednesday nights. Yeah, it's pretty rare if we can't get two. So the actual nitty gritty of how this invite works
1: for us, and we're just digging into our group as an example of all these aspects of a group that works. We send out an automated email every Monday morning from a Gmail that's just the name of our group at gmail.com. And so I bought a little thing. It comes out every Monday morning at 9 a.m. And people respond usually by Wednesday on whether they're going to come. And people are usually pretty good about saying, hey, I'm going to be there. I'll be there at eight. And I'd say most everybody shows up if they say they're going to show up. And there won't just be random people that will show up randomly or not. One downside with that, though, is we always try to make sure everybody's going to be in a game because these are our friends. We want to play games with them. So sometimes with people coming at different times, it can change our game choice. And we always try to cater it around those people so that we can know that they're, they, they have a spot at the table and they want to feel welcome.
0: Right. Yeah. And this is something that I don't know that there is a right answer to. We really try to make sure right. everybody that comes out doesn't have to sit around for an extended period of time and not be in a game so that if we know, you know, somebody just randomly shows up, they're kind of on their own. But if we know you're coming, we'll do every best thing we can do to try to make sure that we can get you in a game as quick as possible. And we'll try to plan around that. But that definitely means that some nights that means that we're playing an hour of fillers before we kind of kick into the main event at 7 p.m.
1: Agreed. And the other thing that's kind of interesting about our group is we don't know we're playing before it shows up. I will say maybe five or six times a year. Maybe there'll be some specific game that we have arranged that we know we're going to play on Wednesday. But I'd say most of the time, the vast majority of the time, we're all going to show up with maybe a small ish bag of games. Mark brings a giant bag of games. You hate your back, um, but we kind of just and it goes kind of goes up into form. What do we want to play? Well, I got this game. That'd be really cool. Let's try that. Let's do this. Let's do that.
0: That's how every game group that I've been a part of has actually worked, that everybody just sort of brings a collection of games they might want to play. And then once everybody's together, we sort of look through them and make a consensus call on what we're actually going to play. I've been led to believe that that's actually somewhat unusual. Right, which is weird. It's amazing that
1: people will or maybe this is wrong. Let us know if this is how you do it. It seems like most people we talk to will know. Okay, we're playing root on Tuesday. Here's the rules. Everybody, see you then. And we're just completely unlike that. We've never ran that way. I think it could be interesting for us to do that. But I think it'd be so many emails going back and forth of people voting for what they want to play.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds we've we've been told by other groups that what they really do is they all figure out days in advance. Well, who wants to play what? Who wants? Okay, I'll bring this over. And then they really. They narrow it down to playing one or two games, and those are the games that they're playing that night. And then finally, in regards to game selection,
1: we all really play, I'd say, excellently with each other. That's probably the other thing that goes really well is we all get along personally really well. We all play really quick, and we all, for the most part, like very similar games. We all really love Euro games. We all, most of us, I'd say there's a good group of us that really like financial-based games. And I'd say the only games that probably don't get to the table enough are area control and or war games, just because those aren't really within the group's wheelhouse. But it's a it's a
0: phenomenal group. I would say, broadly speaking, we tailor our game selections towards the group that shows up that night.
1: Right. That's fair, too.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, if it's Jake and I and Tyler and J-Mac that shows up, we're playing a train game. No two ways about it. But a good chunk of the group, that's not their jam, and that's totally cool. And if that's the group that shows up that night, Midway Euros, here we come. It's very easy for us to choose something. It's not like somebody's going to come. Well, we're going to play
1: Cthulhu Wars every single week, which is a fine game. I try to play it at conventions, but that's not something that's really within our wheelhouse.
0: Well, um. know, yeah, I mean, we have seen a microcosm of this one. I mean, we tend not to play a lot of co-op games. We've talked about our love of co-op True. games yeah, in the past. Absolutely. There are definitely people in our group that that would be their favorite thing to play. And certainly we're up to play whatever as it just happens to work out that the crew that shows up isn't really that into playing co-op games. So, Mark, why don't you talk
1: about a couple of other year groups that I am not as big of a part of, um, I think, from pre-Jake. Is, sure. is that how you split your time? Pre-Jake and post-Jake.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, talk about the dark times. Right. Well, uh, so one thing I did is I realized a couple of years ago that I was playing with all these little tiny islands of gamers that I had. She's oh, probably four or five different groups of like three people and and none of them right. knew each other. And man, it was a struggle to try to keep all of those warm and to get to, you know, and there were different groups of friends from different parts of my life. And I suddenly realized that, wait a minute, if I introduce them all to each other, then the call list that everybody has for pulling together a pickup game night gets so much larger and so much easier. So I actually created a local game group that I sort of tongue in cheek called the D19 group because I can't roll a 20 to save my life. And so if I had a 19 sided dice. Oh, got it. Yeah. So I I called it the D19 Gaming Group. And what I did is I really made a point of having a couple events a year where I literally invited everybody in all my circles of gamings and made a point of getting everybody to cross pollinate. And I've seen that really work over the past few years where now many of those people have become friends just because I have introduced them as part of other groups and gotten them together. That's worked awesome. I do have a couple of other groups that are like groups of old friends where it tends to be when I get together with them. We have gotten together as a small group forever and we still get together and play as a small group. They do come to my bigger groups, but we will still make a point of getting together as a small group, mostly because we all used to work together and still have a lot of eh, a lot of inside baseball conversations around uh, people we know and so forth. So those those nights tend to be a little bit of two hours of chatting before the serious gaming happens. Got it. Are you the main game runner for those groups for both D-19 and for the other
1: ones? Or how does that kind of work?
0: Well, D-19, it depends on the event. I mean, if it's one of the bigger events that I have and by big, I'm talking about, you know, 15 to 20 people. That's multiple tables and that requires multiple game runners on that one. But Uh, I would say in that group, there's a few of us that have larger collections and like to run games. So again, it's a little bit around Robin selection on who says what. One thing I will say about myself, I don't do Minnesotan. Well, uh, Minnesotans have this jokey thing that everybody will sit around and go, I don't care. What do you want to play? I don't care. What do you want to play? Right. If somebody
1: offers something, do you have to deny it three times before you can actually accept it, even though you wanted the thing that you was offered to you? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a thing.
0: And in the time you spend playing that dumb little social deduction game, you could really have actually played something else. So I don't play it. (laughs) If it goes once around the table and nobody has an opinion on it, I'll grab one and say, we're playing this. Plop. Right. Yeah. Usually it's a case where that happens when nobody's got a terribly strong opinion.
1: Interesting. Yeah. I've come to a couple of your D19 things. They're great things. I've actually ran some games there, which is weird because I was not anticipating on it. I was just planning on pulling things down off your shelf and playing them with people there, but I was running games. I guess I don't mind teaching games. Uh, Just quick little aside. um, I used to play games with my and I still do with my my good friends from high school and good friends from college. But it just kind of got to the thing is they don't like it as much as I do. And if they're going to really reach out and want to play a game with me, that's great. I'd love to do that. But there's a million other things we can do together to spend time together. If you want to play games, come to my Wednesday night thing. If you want to do something else, invite me and I'll do that, too. Or if you want to play games, text me and we'll play on a Saturday. I kind of gave up with the whole trying to convert them all into really diehard gamers like me because I got a great community of people out there that I was able to find pretty easily. Just took a little bit of a little bit of searching.
0: Yeah, likewise, too. I used to make an attempt at getting games played at get togethers of my college friends, like at New Year's Eve or something like that. And I finally realized that was a fruitless episode. Yeah, I kind of
1: realized just the evangelizing of games is just not something I need to do anymore. I found a great group of people and we're growing friends of friends and stuff like that. It's. It's awesome. We have a good group of people. I just don't really need to bring my friends that aren't going to be as interested as me. We can do something else.
0: For sure. One thing that, Jake, I think we've both been very blessed in is that for the most part, we haven't had to deal with group management in a negative aspect ever.
1: Yes, we've been
0: very blessed. Fortunately, everybody's recommendations and everybody's introductions have been great. And we haven't had to deal with uninviting anybody or discussing with them their personal hygiene or... I don't know, discussing with them, their cheating habits or anything like that. So that's been nice that we haven't had to just say, "Mm, don't tell Bob about our get together on Wednesday. And that would be really tough for groups that do have to manage that Where You've got somebody that's most likely a good friend of somebody in the group, but they're a complete pain to game with. Yeah, there's a couple of people
1: at the store that may have monikers that have played a game or two with us. And.
0: We won't play a game <laughs> with them again Pittsburgh. for whatever, whatever reason.
1: <laughs> uh, Cheater Mike being one of them, you um, won a game with hidden information. Who would have thought? So yeah, it's, it's, it's great. And we don't have a lot of expansions with that, but we do want to, it's great that you brought it up because it's a big aspect for a lot of game groups. Maybe if you're playing at a game store and you're running an event there, you might have to deal with some people that may not be super good people, or maybe they mean the best, but maybe they just kind of don't have the best social cues or something along those lines. We just haven't had to deal with it. So not to disparage the people that do.
0: We, we are lucky, I guess. And I think the last aspect that I want to bring up regarding kind of interpersonal gamer relationships is what's your play speed? Different right. groups have different ways of going about this one. And it is actually important to sort of read the room and go along with whatever that is, because I definitely play with groups that have different styles than my personal preference. And uh, I love them for who they are. And I'm just glad for the opportunity to game with them, but. Our personal group, we tend to play sort of ready, set, go. When it's your turn, you got about a three Mississippi to move your piece after it's your turn. You maybe have 10 seconds before somebody clears their throat and says, "Um, it's your turn. Right. And your turn is not for figuring out what you're going to do for the most part. It's for actually making your move. That's not the way that every one of my groups work. I play with some very competitive people. In fact, a lot of the other groups are some of the highest win percentages of anybody that I know. But they're very methodical about it. And everybody in the group plays that way. So, I mean, that's the way that group plays. So, anywho, that's been our discussion about game groups and kind of a macroscopic standpoint of different aspects that you kind of have to
1: consider about them and what we've done successfully with our game groups in the past. Let us know how your game group works if you're one of the people that texts everybody saying, hey, I got a game of Root. We're going to play it on Saturday. Who's in? I'd love to hear how your guys' groups work. You can reach us on pretty much any social media aspect feel free to reach out. That sounds awesome. Hey, Jake, that was another great episode tonight. Yeah, it was fun to talk to you. Hope you have a good rest of your night. Good night, folks. Good night, everybody. This has been the Gaming Moguls podcast, co-hosted by Mark Teske and Jake Klopfenstein. Please find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or TuneIn. Feel free to join our Board Game Geek Guild, Guild number 3431. Find us on Instagram and Twitter, at Gaming Moguls. Or reach us via email jake at GamingMoguls.com or mark at GamingMoguls.com. If you like the Gaming Moguls podcast, please tell a friend. Thanks for listening.